welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 14 in the New Testament and the last time the message was titled Unintended Consequences and you know it's amazing I've taught Luke I taught it maybe 13 years ago every time you teach the Bible like God gives you these you know new applications that I'm like well how did I miss that the first time but it's pretty cool because the whole time that Jesus was here right? God the Son, His biggest concern is that people go to heaven. (laughs) So the message titled today is, Will You Be Attending? And I do have to laugh because Jesus did um, use these parables, and He would take a life circumstance, a cultural get-together, anything that He could find, because a lot of people weren't educated, right? So the way He had to teach them was symbolically, at times, was, you know, very direct, Uh, was metaphoric at times, but he used this kind of idea of a banquet or a supper or sort of a wedding ceremony. And it's, I have to laugh because, you know, you get, we get these, right? During the year, a certain time of the year, everybody wants to get married and you get something in the mail and it says, please RSVP, are you coming or not? You know, and you say how many guests are going to attend. So things happened like that back then as well. However, Jesus uses, and we'll talk about some cultural differences Jesus uses this circumstance or this ceremony to teach us something about the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, heaven, eternity, all really neat stuff. And we're going to look at this in five parts. So jumping in, verse 15 sort of was, um, it sort of connects both the prior verses and the later verses. Remember, Jesus would teach for hours and... There would be crowds, and they would stay there the whole day. It was amazing. For the sake of time, when we teach as pastors, we break up them into sections. But understand, this goes, it's contiguous to what we talked about last Sunday. So verse 15, so Jesus is just speaking about these uh, two sort of parables about a guest and a host, and how they choose to sit with certain people of importance, or how they choose to actually invite people of importance and Jesus turns that into a a spiritual teaching so in verse 15 there's a man it says now when one of those who sat at the table with him with Jesus heard these things he said to him blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God so one out of five is eating bread in the kingdom now Jesus is uh, making this point and the man gets excited. Is it possible that some people, when Jesus would teach and you know, share these parables, they would think he was literal? It's possible. However, when we look at the parable today, we'll see that you, you can't take it literal. You, you see that Jesus is making a point through this parable. So jumping in verse 16, it says, Then he said to him, right, the man with the excited utterance, he said, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you 
to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I asked that you have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring here, bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now we spoke about this culturally the last time, how, you know, people were social climbers, they were trying to get ahead, you would invite someone of importance so that you could get a leg up in the world. So they often didn't invite the lame, the blind. And this is really neat about the parables of Jesus because the people, I can imagine listening to what he's saying. And culturally, you're following Jesus. Yeah, I like this story. And then Jesus says something and you're like, whoa, wait, wait, that really doesn't happen today. But Jesus would sometimes use an exaggeration to, to make a very important spiritual point. And we're going to get back to that. And again, I'm not saying it was right. It's just culturally, for the, for the social climbers, they didn't want anything that was socially messy. And it was wrong. But this is what they did. So here, I could imagine that some of the hearers kind of maybe furrowed their eyebrows and said, what's Jesus getting at here? And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and there's still room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited, the previous ones, shall taste my supper. So two out of five is the parable of the Great Supper. Now, let's assign, and I was, it's so funny, I was listening to Chuck Smith years ago, and he, he said he was taught, don't even teach the parables until you've been pastoring for at least 20 years. <laughs> because they're so intricate. And what, what, here's the, the problem. Number one is, what is Jesus saying, right? That's the most important part. What is he trying to tell us? So the two extremes are not getting the main point that Jesus is trying to express. The other extreme is assigning a symbolism to every single thing that's said here. Um, And we can't do that either. So you could see that the the Lord or the landowner or the the host is God, the Father. And I'm going to get to why I believe He sends the servant out to go into the highways and the byways how it's Christ. It's, it's God the Son. I'm going to get to that. So it, it's very possible that in the culture, remember the first century, there was sort of this, this um, limbo period for a time between the old covenant and the new covenant. The new covenant was coming quickly and it was going to fulfill the old covenant. So when he's teaching the parable, you could almost see some resting on their laurels, so to speak. Well, you know, I was born to the right family. I went to the right house of worship, so I'm, I'm naturally going to heaven. That's a problem. <laughs> Verse 18, it says, they began to make excuses. Now understand this as well, is that back then, you would be given an invitation. I don't think they said RSVP. I don't think fr- French was a language back then. I could be wrong. But you were expected to respond and say, I'll be there. How much food do they have to prepare? Again, it's just like a, like a wedding hall. So not much has changed, but there are some subtle nuances. So if you said yes, you were expected to show up. So there would be some time that would pass. You said yes. And then the one throwing the banquet 
would send out his servants again and tell everybody what time it was going to be. So the time wasn't said the first time. This is cultural. However, so basically, these people are making excuses, but they already said they were going to come. So when the servant comes a second time, he says, hey, everything's ready, 3 o'clock. Oh, oh I'm sorry, i got some oxen here. You know, I, there's a piece of property over there. i got to go look at it. Oh, look, see, I just got married. I can't go. And we're going to look at these. <laughs> and I would just say, too, is that to me, when I look at this in interpreting this, is that you ask the average person on the street out of 100 people, 99%, there's always that one odd duck that says, I don't want to go to heaven, but the 99% of the people, hey, do you want to go to heaven when you die? You want to go to this wonderful place? And people would say yes. However, a lot of people say yes. I said yes when I was younger, before I was a Christian, but I did nothing to search out or figure out, how do I get to heaven? You know, and, and we make all these excuses, and we think that we have time. Well, we don't have time. And I would say this, it isn't God that keeps anyone out of the kingdom. These are self-imposed obstacles. And let's go over some of them. Verse 18, the one guy says, well, I bought a piece of ground and must go see it. Back then, you wouldn't buy real estate and then go see it. <laughs> you would see it, check it out, you know, you know, see if it's really as large as they say it is, where it's located, and then you would go through the purchasing process. So I would call this the commerce excuse. And how many people in this world today allow the busyness of life, business dealings, professions, academics, to keep them out of the kingdom of heaven? I got time to get right with the Lord. A lot of people say that. If you're saying that today, really consider receiving Christ this morning because we don't know how much time we have. Verse 19, the other guy says, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them again. You know, are they going to pull a plow? Are they going to harvest your field? You, you can take somebody's word and then you get the, the animals and they're old and skinny and they can't together pull that plow? You're going to check them out first. I, I think of too, like buying a car, right? You, you want to check the car out. Although they have these... <laughs> boy, today everything's different in America, right? You can buy a car online. That's just not me. You know, I, I'm like, do I fit in it? You know, is, is, do I like the analog? It, do I like the way it... I'm not just going to buy a car... Whatever, if you did that, I apologize. <laughs> but <laughs> Let's go back to the story. This, this is how Pastor Joe gets himself in trouble. Uh, so, back in the day, you wouldn't buy a bunch of oxen without looking at them, checking their muscle, their structure, their age, right? Animals, you know, all right, let's go back here. But <laughs> this is sort of the possessions uh, excuses. And, and people do. They allow possessions, right? Things I got to do at home, uh, stuff that just keeps us busy. And not being considered is, how do I get to heaven? And verse 20, I have married a wife, so I can't come. Okay, why don't you bring her? You know what I'm saying? What's the problem here? You can see that these excuses are lame. They're lame. And I don't know about you, but I, I try to just be polite, and, and sometimes people throw excuses at me. And something inside me says, you know, don't say anything. Uh, but oftentimes my face needs deliverance. Because I, I might roll my eyes, or I might smirk, or I might... So in, inside, I'm thinking, be polite. 
but sometimes, you know, it just comes out. Because I think to myself, that is, just tell me the truth. Don't make these ridiculous excuses that don't hold water. So this is the relationship excuse, and people do this. This is powerful. It could be a boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, could be uh, a family relationship. Well, we've always done it this way. Well, how will I tell my, my family when I get home? It's a relationship excuse. It's allowing something to get in the way of your relationship with the living God, because that's what it is. Now, it doesn't mean any of these former things, relationships, you know, possessions, real estate, business, none of these things are bad things in and of themselves, but they are when, they, when we allow them to limit us from having a relationship with the living God. You see, Christianity is not just some religious genre. It is a relationship with God. And that's what we have to understand. So going back to this, um, there's an expression that says, a person who's good at excuses is often not good at anything else. I, just, I didn't say it, but it's, it's interesting. Verse 21. So the, the Lord says to his servant, and again, the Father says to the Son, think of John 3.16. We're going to get to that. He's basically saying, bring anybody that you could find. Go out and look for them. Right? Go out and look for them. And sadly, it was the cultural believers at the time that allowed these self-imposed restrictions to make excuses and stop them from seeking the things of God. And the corrupt religious system had a big role. And sometimes we see that today. You know, you just, you know you're not right with the Lord. Well, what does God say? Well, come to Him. You know, get, get back into the fold. Don't leave your first love. But religion says, well, just write a check or do this or say this and you'll be fine. We got you back. It doesn't work like that. It's between us and our Creator. There is no middleman. The only middle person was Christ. And He was a middle person because He came to die for our sins. He had to be. Right? Um, when you go to the highways and byways and call strangers, um, you never know what you're going to get. Two things. Number one, there's a movie coming out called Jesus Revolution, which uh, I, I'm, the trailer looks good. I want to see it. And basically, it's about Chuck Smith in the early days and Lonnie Frisbee, and it was in California, the 60s, the Jesus movement. And it just really, it, this is in, you can actually look at this in the encyclopedia in your history books. A lot of the hippies, right? That's what they call themselves the bare feet and the tie-dye and, and all that kind of stuff, a lot of the hippies became Christians through that fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And it was a lot of churches that were very stuffy and stodgy that didn't want these people. You know, they don't wear shoes, they're dirtying the carpets, all this kind of stuff. But Chuck Smith, you know, it was a learning curve. It was a little uncomfortable, but he, he opened the church to these people with open arms and there was an explosion. And that's really how our movement kind of started from that 60s, you know, hippie movement, you know, Jesus revolution. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I got to tell you, when I became a Christian, I was a police officer and uh, going through my studies, I eventually became a pastor and there was some overlap. I was a pastor and I was a police officer at the same time. That made things really interesting. But uh, I, when I read the Bible... See, and this is the thing. It's you, you want to apply everything that Jesus says to your life. And I would find people out on patrol. And they were, 
never going to step foot in the church. You know, they were the last person you would see in a church, and it was, I, I just loved ministering to them. I can say all this now, I'm retired, I can't get in trouble again, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but it, it, it gave me great pleasure. Actually, I had a pastor friend who said, I envy you. He said something, you know, he, had a, he has a pretty good-sized, medium, medium-sized church, and he said, he goes, I just want to get a job at Wawa just so I could go out into the world and meet unbelievers. He goes, wherever I go in this complex, everyone's a Christian. I can't witness to anybody. So you get so excited when you, you hear what Jesus says and you catch the vision and you implant it in your heart and then it comes out in your hands and feet. So it's very, very, very exciting. Verse 23, I'll read it again. He says, he says, he says to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You know, if you read or study Jehovah Witness theology, they basically tell you, and you can ask them if they show up at your house, they say that God's heaven is only big enough for 144,000 people. Actually, that's a misreading of Revelation. It's actually not true. And as you can see in the parable, 144,000. God can fit quadrillions, quintillions, uh, people from thousands of years to, to now they can all fit. And he says this. You, fi- you found more? Well, go out again and find some more. God's saying, this is a big tent. My house is big. I want everybody to come into the kingdom. It's very interesting. Let me just read to you or quote John 3.16 to John 3.17 because I believe 17 goes with 16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him... Jesus would not perish but have eternal life. And in John 3.17, this is very important because some ministries misrepresent the character and the nature of God. 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. That's powerful. But that through Him, through Jesus, the world might be saved. Now, God gave us free will, but He sent Jesus into the world to save the world. So that's an option. 7.8 billion people on the planet. It's an option. Not everyone's going to take of it, but uh, hopefully the people who are hearing here and on the live stream, if you're on the fence, that you say, this is the day I want to receive Christ. I mean, it can't, it can't get much more compelling than this. Verse 24, For I say to you, now he's going, going back, that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Make no mistake, God respects Himself and God's not desperate. When the door closes, that's it. So if we perish, it's a gamble. And I did it when I was young, in my teens and 20s. I was always going to get around to seeking God. Thank God I didn't die. Thank God I'm still here. Uh, But at some point I had to say to myself, you just keep kicking the can down the road is something you really got to consider. So um, when we we die, that's it. that's it. Uh, the other thing is when the Lord comes and removes human governing from the sinful human race, that's also going to be it. The chances are over. And quite frankly, when I see what's going on in our country and overseas, does anybody know what they're doing in this world? It seems like the most incompetent people, and I'm saying all across the board, are, or, or the most evil people are in power. So here, we're, we're just trying to make a living. You know, we're just trying to not pay 6 $7 for eggs. But, but, you know, the leaders, they keep talking about these nebulous, you know, great ideas and globalist movements, and we're just trying to make a living. It's like they're so separated from the people. It's become a very godless culture. 
And one day Jesus, the Lord's going to return and, and this isn't going to be an issue anymore. Um, just to touch on Revelation 19, I did a whole study on Revelation, but the marriage supper of the Lamb is in Revelation 19 and God equates this calling of the saints to this great feast in, in, in His kingdom, which is a future occurrence. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you can see another reference to the banquet, to this great, wonderful event that uh, he and the saints and the good angels are all going to be at this event. It's very exciting. So, continuing on, verse 25. <laughs> he says, uh, Now great multitudes went with him. That's key. Great multitudes. They weren't all on the same sheet of music. A lot of them wanted him to conquer Rome. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Okay, let's close the Bible. Let's go home. I'll see you next Sunday. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not a chicken. Uh, verse 27, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So three out of five is, I always like to put humor in, how do I explain this? All right, let me paint myself into a corner, even worse, and then let me tell you what the Lord's saying here. So, A, God teaches us not to hate, teaches us to love even our enemies. B, God teaches us to honor our father and mother, not to hate them. 1 John 4.20 says, if you say you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. See, this is why you have to study the Bible in context. Because if you don't know the Bible, somebody could point this out to you and say, is this what your, your Savior teaches? Let's go back for a moment. A, this is understood as hyperbolic teaching. In other words, the word hyperbole. In other words, it's a purposeful exaggeration to make a point. Very similar to the parable stories. So Jesus is teaching a parable. Everyone's shaking their head, I can imagine. And then all of a sudden, Jesus takes a direction in the parable where they're like, he lost me is a purposeful exaggeration to make a spiritual point. And it gets people's attention, obviously. B, it's also called comparative exposition. The Greek word is miseo, which is more of a, a negative action than a positive action. What it means is to love less or to hate in comparison to loving God and loving ourselves. You, you with me? So it's a comparative exposition. It's done purposely. Um, and it sort of goes with hyperbole. And C, very important, was that Jesus had to start separating his followers that were revolutionaries to the extent of... Listen, Jesus was a spiritual revolutionary. He came to shake things up. But in the first coming, he didn't come to take, take down the Romans and shed blood. The only blood that Jesus shed was his own blood on the cross. So... He had to, as it gets closer to the cross, literally, he has to separate the wheat from the chaff. And uh, Jesus spoke, speaks about the parable of the wheat and the tares. Even in the culture of Christianity, in the culture of Christianity, you have the true church, those who are saved, and those who are sort of like the crowds. They were hangers-on, they were looking for something, um, they had their own agenda, but they weren't looking for the truth. So Jesus had to start shaking that up. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 6, John chapter 6, Jesus says something so powerful that it says many of his followers walked away and didn't follow him anymore. 
And he turns to his disciples and like, are you going to leave too? And they're like, Peter's like, where are we going to go? You have the words to eternal life. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus had done this a few times. Now, I also don't want to minimize what he's saying. So let's look at this. Verse 26 through 27. You know, taking up your cross was the attitude of a dying person. In other words, for me, I'll speak for myself, when I became a believer and I started to really grow and I was mentored, I thought to myself, I just want to do what makes God happy. I never thought of that a year before I got saved. I just want to do what made me happy. (laughs) So the more I'm growing in the faith, I'm thinking, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to be a missionary? Do you want me to i got to tell you, one of the scariest things, prospects that I thought of was me evangelizing. And those of you who know me, I do it all the time. <laughs> Wherever I go, I talk to people about the Lord. I, um, well, I went somebody, somewhere recently, and I was sharing. It was four people. It was very cool, complete strangers. So it, it, God worked on my heart, but my taking up my cross was maybe missed opportunities that I could have had if I didn't follow Christ. Maybe... Uh, an an accumulation of wealth I would have had if I didn't follow Christ. So, But I'm willing to take up my cross and follow Him wherever He goes, figuratively. He doesn't want us to crucify ourselves, literally, obviously. And just to have the attitude, whatever happens in my life, I'm going to trust God with it. And I want Him to direct my life. Now, this is important. Some of you might get upset with this, but it is a true thing. and It's an actual book that you could buy, but I don't recommend it. So Jesus says one thing. Joel Osteen says he's got a book called Live Your Best Life Now. Jesus doesn't tell us to live our best life now. Joel Osteen does. Jesus tells us that the greatest life is in eternity. And a lot of these prosperity preachers turn could-be solid uh, Christians into shallow, self-centered and it, we, we just, go, listen, we could just go out into social media and live our best life now and tell everybody I'm wonderful, like me too, read books about self, because that's what we do normally. But when we come to Christ, we have to realize that we want to please our Father in heaven. Is it, there's a difference now. So, you know, teaching today under some that, that call it Christianity versus what does Jesus teach? And let me just say this, because some say, you know, it, I, it makes me feel good. I'm, I'm having a bad week. You know what makes you feel good? To know that you're being used by the living God. Now, it takes a little longer to come to that conclusion. Because if you, listen, I like sugar and cookies and chocolate, and, but I don't eat it every day. I rarely eat it. I say no, but, but when I eat it, it makes me feel great. But if I was to do that all day, every day, I'd be very sickly. So I, I need to eat, and, and the Bible talks about food and spiritual food and, and nourishment and something that takes a while to totally assimilate into us. So I would prefer that, and I'm not, I'm not terribly patient, but I'm getting better. I would prefer to take my time with the Lord and let Him work through me than to jump because something I'm going to read or see or watch is going to make me feel good emotionally, but the high is not going to last. I'm going to crash again. And there's plenty of people that have come to this church sort of spiritually depressed because they follow this prosperity movement and they said, you know, I listen to that pastor every Sunday and his life is perfect and mine's falling apart. It's not even reality. They don't even tell you the truth. So 
This is, this is heavy stuff, folks. This is, this is no joke. And I would say this as well. Do you want to just be a part of something that's all about you? When I think about me all the time, it, it's, it bores me after a while. I want to be about something that's bigger than myself. That even when I die, the, the lasting effects of the people that God used me to reach are still going on many years after I've perished. That's power. That's incredible. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want. So, whatever, Jesus can say whatever He wants. And when I was a new believer, I started reading it. And I'm like, whoa, wow, I just got splashed in in the face with water. This is pretty powerful. But I I, I had to go through it and, and meditate on it and talk to... Uh, and study it, right? Verse 28, continuing, he says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able... The numbers are interesting here. The king is going to make war. He has 10,000, right? He has 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Hmm. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Four out of five is counting the costs. And again, everything has a cost. Everything has opportunity costs, right? My economics classes. Um, whatever you do, this choice or that choice has perceived, well, there, there's, there's benefits, but there's perceived losses from that. So Jesus says, count those costs because when you follow Jesus, maybe you're not going to, all your friends won't accept you anymore. Maybe your coworkers might think, you know, you're, you're odd or something whatever that's why it's so cool Um, and i love to see these true accounts of people who really didn't fit in 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 the culture anyway and they become christians and they're like listen i was odd from the beginning so this isn't going to really change much so so they counted the cost there right um and i'm odd in some ways we all have our idiosyncrasies who's really nobody's perfect don't don't raise your hand because nobody is so uh (laughs) james all right (laughs) so Continuing on, I love teasing James. This is what happens when you sit in the front. Uh, so four, counting the cost. A, building a tower. Now, understand that, that if you had a vineyard or you had a, a farm, you would, you would build sort of this foundational uh, structure, depending on how much you had. And you, you would build it you know, with some brick and maybe some debris, depending on what you could afford. And it would go up and up, and it, it just would be high enough. It wasn't like uh, the Empire State Building, but it was high enough that you could, you know, retreat to the upper deck, and you could look around. Are there predators? Uh, does my vegetation look like it's wilting? So you would put these things in the center of your property, and you would look out. Certainly invaders, uh, people that are stealing from you. So the tower served a lot of purposes. But he said, wouldn't the people around, if you said, oh yeah, I'm going to build this tower and I'm just going to wing it, and you're, do- you're halfway done, it's not shielding you from the elements, and you can't finish it. So it's not really good for anything. It's not keeping you from the elements, and you, you, you didn't build the high part so that you could see what's going out. So you're, you, this, this foundation uh, that never gets finished, 
You know, the Apostle Paul uh, likens the Christian walk to a race, like running a race, a cross country or some type of Olympic games that they had back in those days. Uh, and he said, you gotta, you got to go to the end, right? You start with the Lord. It's, first of all, when you really know who the Lord is, you don't want to quit. You don't want to stop halfway. B, going to war. But then there's these unintended consequences, right? Um, the person, and again, the Bible doesn't teach us. So he's not talking about literally, again, to fight the Romans. That's not what he's saying here. Absolutely not. This is a spiritual, uh, there's a metaphor here. But to basically, I think about fighting the enemy in a spiritual sense, right? The Bible says that we don't fight against flesh and blood. You know, sometimes even that person that really gets on your nerves or they're hostile towards your faith, you have to say to yourself, it's not him or it's not her. They're giving into something that they don't realize. There's this an- antagonism against, you know, the underworld trying to lose that person to the light. So they will convince them there's something wrong with you or there'll, there'll be some uh, antagonism. But it's interesting because I think even some Christians see this as there's just so much, so much pressure, whether it's uh, financial, whether it's relational, whether it's you know, so many things that it's almost like you're, you're fighting against an army that's twice your size. But again, we're, we're talking about a spiritual battle here, whether it's running the race, building the tower, fighting the war, you have to consider, am I going to concede or am I going to actually go through with this battle? And again, if you're in the middle of the war and there's losses on both sides, let's, let's bring this back to literal, the other side's not going to get the joke if you say, okay, okay, it's too much, I quit. No, no, no. You've already made them angry and they've lost their soldiers. So what he's saying is that in the literal sense, you have to really figure this out, whether you're going to take it to the end. But even in a spiritual sense, you know, we are interjected into the spiritual realm when we come to Christ. And we are having an effect on people, and it's a positive effect. All right? Verse 34 through 35, last few. He says, salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, where animal excrement is. But men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. He has, who has ears to hear, let him hear. So five is the salt symbolism. And again, if it could be the person in the crowd who's listening to Jesus and is like, oh, I'm getting so confused. It's, I'm not supposed to like my family and, and I'm, now I'm fighting a war and now I'm salt. Like, what's going on here? But people do that today. They read the Bible or they hear a teaching for the first time and they're, they're, it's a spiritual learning curve. They're like, oh. when I started reading the Bible, I didn't know what anything was. I got a good part of it, but I would call people that I trusted. I would read. I would do history. And um, I'd be like, I got to understand this because I don't right now. And that's why being born again is, is liking in us to a baby to be born all over again, right? To be born again spiritually. We have to start all over again. Walk and talk and all those kind of things. So salt, the salt symbolism. Interesting. Back then, soldiers were paid in salt. Salt had multiple uses. It was refined, but not as good as we do it today. Um, actually, the word salary, did you know that our word salary comes from the old world, old word salt? There's an expression, that person's not worth their salt. Now you know where it came from. So the soldiers at the end of the day or at the end of the week, they would get paid a certain amount, it would be weighed out and they would get their salt. 
they would, and they would be able to trade it, right? There was bartering back then because it was, it was good for flavor. I watched those cooking shows and it's, it's the death knell if you do that cooking show and Bobby Flay or one of them says, you know, it doesn't have flavor. You didn't put enough salt in it. So it's, salt does something to enhance flavor. There's a chemical reaction in it. It was also back then, not so much today because we have refrigeration, it was used for preservation. It was also used for killing of, of unwanted vegetation, and there were probably other uses that I, I didn't find. So there was a lot that uh, came from salt. So Jesus calls us to be salt and light. In another scripture, he says also light, and there are reasons for that. So the question is, do we as Christians have the flavor of Christ? Do we? Are we helping to preserve the culture or are we part of its decline? And that's the tough thing, folks. I feel, I, I feel empathy for young people because when I was a young person, there was no internet and there was no social media. So I don't care if 100 people don't like me on social media. I mean, I'm nice and I share the truth of Scripture. I'm not caustic, but sometimes just you disagreeing causes a feeding frenzy amen so what we can be pressured to do is go along with what everyone else is going along with mindlessly in the united states we're all doing this thing where we all just follow each other it's weird when one one sheep falls off the cliff all the rest of them are just going to follow in succession so you know are we part of the preservation of the culture or part of its decline right salt also has the property i didn't say this initially of making people thirsty right you you eat something that's salty you you need to you need water right you need to get that in there because it's your body goes through this uh, chemical reaction and you need pure water so my question is do we make people thirsty for christ do we make people desire the living water. Now, if you just got saved, you might say, wow, it's a lot of pressure, Pastor Joe. Just enjoy your relationship with Him. God is, will slowly grow you, and He'll show you what your gifts are. The way salt was processed back then, there was a possibility, because it's not as pure as they, it's done today, there was a possibility, depending on where it was stored or what type of processing you got, that it could lose some of its properties. So my question is, as believers, have we lost our spiritual saltiness? You know, in this church, we don't say, hey, it's your problem, you're beat, go home and hang your head in shame. What we say is, hey, let's, let's rededicate our lives to Christ. God always provides a solution, right? Somewhere along the road, uh, some have given up their first love. Jesus says it's right in the book of Revelation to a church that collectively had given up their first love, which was Jesus. And I, and I see people do this. Then they start to solely pursue their self-interest. Hey, aren't you a Christian? Eh, you know, how does that happen? When you taste the sweet fruit of Jesus Christ, how do you not want to always have that? And, and maybe it wasn't a, a legitimate conversion. Maybe it was an emotional conversion. God always allows U-turns, right? He always allows us to come back to Him. And He says that this is interesting that the salt that loses its properties, its flavor, its properties, it's not even fit for the dung hill. The dung hill. That's where animal feces are loaded up. They're stored. 
My wife rescues, um, my wife has rescue horses, and they're all kind of senior citizens right now. And they're cool. They're really cool. They're, they have their own personalities. And they, there's a few of them, and they are constantly eating, and they're constantly excreting. <laughs> so it's got to be cleaned up. It's got to be put in a place so it's not all over the place. But I got to tell you something. When that dung, that horse dung, we don't give them any chemicals. When that stuff starts to dry out, I put it on everything. Some of you are like, I'm not coming over your house to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, this this is, you know, you buy stuff in the store and you're like, oh, look at that. It's dyed and it looks perfectly butchered. You don't know what it looks like when it first happened, right? I think as Americans, we're so into processing that we forget the natural ways, right? But it's, we put it on our vegetable garden, tomatoes, cucumbers, cucumbers. we put it everywhere. On my grass, where we, we live, there's a lot of sandy soil. It helps to firm up the soil and hold the moisture content. I learned all this stuff from my wife. She's a master gardener. Uh, but what I'm saying is that even dung has uses. What Jesus is saying is when salt loses its saltiness, it's not even good for the dung hill. So, <laughs> so in that sense, dung has a leg up. Let's just go back to the beginning here. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's, get back. let's go to the main point here, Pastor Joe. Um, just like the, the title is and the sermon title is, Will You Be Attending? You see, we can, it's not good properties, it's not good um, uh, practice to say yes to something and not show up, especially when people prepare. However, people do it today. However, Saying yes to God. God wants everyone in His heaven. He wants everyone in His kingdom. And He will use all these types of parables to get us to think about where we are in our standing with Him because He loves us. You know? If He totally ignored us and said, I don't care, well, that's a different story. But He does so many things to try to reach us. Will we be attending? Will we be at that marriage supper of the Lamb? I said yes. And I, got, and I have a relationship with the Lord and I'm going to follow through to that. See, Christianity is not a fad to, to say yes to and not give much thought afterward. It is a living relationship with the living God. My question too, for those who are saying, you know, I'm thinking to go up and at the end of service, Pastor Joe, my question to you would be, have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost? People might not like you. You may, there could be a financial opportunity that you don't take because you're, you're doing something that the Lord has called you to do. There could be a lot of things that if you finish that race, that race, it, there's an opportunity cost. Have you counted the cost before you come up? However, it is so important. We don't know how much time we have left. And the truth is, our best life is the life with Him. That doesn't mean you can't. I enjoy my life. We laugh all the time, right? <laughs> We're always laughing and, and having a good time. I, I think I'm happier. I'm more content. I laugh more now than before I was saved. I was kind of grumpy at times, you know what I'm saying? Um, God totally changed my character. Uh, so none of us know how much time we have left. And this is the most important decision of everyone's life and beyond. So count the costs and say yes to the Lord's invitation.
been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.